0: Welcome to the Newberry Tart Podcast. Your hosts, Marcy and Jenny, are talking and drinking their way through Newberry Award winning books, past and present.
1: Hello and welcome. I am Jenny.
0: And I'm Marcy, and this is the Newberry Tart Podcast.
1: This week we're discussing the wish giver
0: which is written by Bill Britton, illustrated by Andrew Glass, and published by Harper & Row in 1983. It was an honor book in 1984. We are going to start off with a citation from the Newbery and Caldecott Awards, A Guide to the Medal and Honor Books, put together by Kathleen T. Horning in 2009. Thaddeus Blinn, the wish giver, sells Polly, Rowena, Henry, and Meat wishes. All they have to do is hold the white card with the dot and wish carefully. The first three make their wishes with dire but comical consequences and leave Meat to use his to undo everything they have done.
1: And I've got an older citation um, from the A Guide to Newbery Medal Winners and Honor Books, 1977 um, through 1984, put together by Judith R. Kinman and Darwin L. Henderson. I do not know if this document was passed around like a zine. <laughs> it is it,
0: it looks it looks <laughs> hand typed.
1: Yes, it looks hand typed. It this is a this is something I downloaded, but it looks like a photocopy of a photocopy that I downloaded a PDF of. Yes. Um Judith and Darwin, if you're still out there, if you happen to be listening, we have lots of questions. <laughs> and um
0: and compliments if you typed all this. <laughs> yes.
1: So um, I'm going to read the citation from their guide uh, for the wish giver. It is during the annual Coventry Church Social that Thaddeus Blinn appears. He proclaims that he can give people exactly what they ask for at the small price of 50 cents. Only four people are curious enough to listen. For 50 cents, Thaddeus Blinn gives them each a card with a red spot on it. All one must do is place a thumb on the red dot and wish for exactly what they want. This is the story of how three people get exactly what they wish for and how they deal with the situations. The first thing I thought of when um, when Thaddeus gave them the card with the dot on on it. Do you remember watching David Copperfield specials on TV? Vaguely. Do you remember that there was? I'm pretty sure there was a David Copperfield special where there was a blue dot on the screen and you were supposed to touch it, <laughs> and he was going to guess your thoughts. And I just immediately thought of that. <laughs> Basically, snake oil and, yeah. and hokum. <laughs> also, I may have conflated that with an with some of the National Enquirer's um, that I would read at my step grandma's house, because um, they definitely had a, like a blue dot that you're supposed to touch, and then you would get good fortune.
0: I wonder if they're related. I wonder when. <laughs> I wonder like time wise which one came first.
1: I don't know. Because I, I feel like the, the Inquirer has been around, had to have been around way before this was written. Yeah,
0: I would think so. The 80s at least.
1: Yeah. And this was, yeah, way before the yeah. 80s. I don't know. We'll put it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. We'll put you the National Inquirer up. in the show notes. <laughs> I feel like
0: every time we do this, we come up with like 10 things we need to research. Yes. Just for yes curiosity's sake.
1: But because they're not Newberry related directly, I guess we just put them in the show notes.
0: That works. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm just going to read the part of the citation that explains what each of the children wish for. So Polly, a girl who says exactly what she thinks, wishes that people would pay attention to her. What she gets for her wish is that every time she says something mean to or about someone, she loses the power to speak and begins to croak like a bullfrog. Rowena Jarvis is a 16-year-old who's in love with a traveling salesman. She wishes that Henry Piper would put down roots and never leave Coventry again. Consequently, Henry Piper becomes rooted to the ground and gradually turns into a tree. Adam Fisk lives on a farm with his parents. Their farm is the poorest in the county because they have little access to water when it doesn't rain. He wishes for water all over the farm. What he gets is water coming out of every crack and hole on the farm. The farm is flooded and the Fisk family must leave it. Only Stewmeat, the local grocer, puts his card away as a memento of the church social. It is his card that eventually solves the others problems.
0: I did think that there was going to be some more significance to the red dot than there was. I wasn't really sure like if there was like more significance or if that meant something, but then nothing came of it.
1: I guess it's like an analog button. Oh. It's just like a drawing of a button, a of a button.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that heats up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, this is one of those weird books where I guess it's supposed to be set in olden times, but there's not a specific olden time named.
0: No, and it feels, I mean, the language is older, but it does feel more modern, Mm -hmm. even with the traveling salesman and farming and everything.
1: Yeah. Although the traveling salesman, the whole thing with Rowena, I know Polly made her wish first, but can we talk about Rowena? Oh, yes, definitely. So Rowena is 16 years old, and she's in love with this traveling salesman. Who she
0: hasn't seen in a year.
1: And that's fine, I guess. I mean, whatever. You know, you're 16 love is what you think it is i guess then you know but she's talking about like marrying him that's why she she wishes for him to put down roots so she can marry him
0: which is weird in so many ways but like is there nobody else in this town (laughs) i mean (laughs) like okay given given the context of the story and like the the texture of the story like there clearly has been no email you know sent between them has it really been like a whole year since she communicated with this guy she's totally obsessed with
1: i yeah i guess so it it really it it feels like it's set in a parallel a parallel past
0: yeah like it
1: was like it's set in the 1920s or the 1930s but
0: it has that kind of like i feel like they're aiming for a depression era yeah Mm -hmm.
1: but it's clearly written in the 80s Mm mm-hmm so it's almost like they opened a portal from in the 30s to the 80s and they're living somewhere in between.
0: <laughs> Moment of silence to consider this concept. <laughs> it it did like it did remind me a little bit of alternative history books, which is funny that you said that. Because one of the other books that I was thinking about recently is the alternative fairly recent history um patricia reed oh yeah, yeah yeah and so especially like across um the great divide where it's like alternative history in the like uh in the west
1: is that the one with the um where the floor and the fauna yeah, yeah yeah there's the giant plant yes kind and of root so, system but it's
0: like alternative not wild west but like expansion west Mm -hmm. and and magic is real and everybody just assumes it's there which it just had that tone in the story because everybody's like oh it must be magic like there was no like the kids are hiding this from the grown-ups because they know it's magic and nobody will understand the the adults in this like very prosaic like farming community are like hmm guess it's magic
1: but Rowena hides she hides her tree man
0: well she does but not like in all the other stories like Mm -hmm. I think she's ashamed of like what she did specifically And not hiding, like, this crazy thing that happened. That
1: makes sense. Because to me, too, not only did I find it inappropriate that a 16-year-old girl was thinking about getting married to some guy that she's met, like, twice over a couple of years... It was a little too on the nose to have him turn into a giant tree, like a piece of wood. Oh, like sure. she was like sexually attracted to him. No. <laughs> he became <laughs> this giant little piece little of wood <laughs> that she hid from her family. <laughs> and I was like that's a little too on the nose and like kind of a kind of an icky way. <laughs>
0: there were there were a lot of things that I felt made sense in the in this setting of the book had it not been written more more contemporarily like had it been written in the 30s then sure you know like those connotations didn't exist and these things were not inappropriate but once you're writing it in the 80s you have to keep in mind that like these are social norms of the present
1: (laughs) well I think they might have existed they just weren't in the popular culture like of children's books during that time so you know it feels almost like you're reading his like an historical account with with magic with like goofy magic but then you're right because of the writing it does feel very written in the 80s and so yeah it's it feels a little like adult
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the drawings don't help that either
1: oh the drawings
0: so like i understand that that Andrew Glass is a very accomplished illustrator. Like, this is a series of books, and he did the illustrations for some of the I others. like some
1: of his other things. Yeah,
0: and he, he even illustrated for um, for other Newberries. He illustrated Graven Images, which got a Newberry honor in 1983, so the, just the previous year. Um, and that book is fantastic, but they, they, they reminded me a little bit of the illustrations from those scary stories to tell in the dark books that yeah. just me out a little bit well everyone seems to be screaming yes
1: all the time like all the figures in the book are screaming like their mouths are open their ha- their faces and their heads are kind of flung back a little bit
0: well like i'm looking at the cover of this book and i don't know if you oh you don't have the dust jacket mm. okay so on the cover of this book there is the Wishgiver himself and oh that's he's super creepy like in the book he's actually described as looking like santa claus
1: but that is a pig who magicked himself human <laughs> yes, exactly. that is not <laughs> with, a person with a person. creepy mustache yeah
0: um and then the other three people who are the ones who made the wishes are obviously screaming and one of them is like clinging to this tree man <laughs> i mean these
1: they they all look like they're in distress they all look like they could be placed in together to to show the souls that are dying in hell.
0: <laughs> yes. And the book is not that dire. I mean, it feels a little inappropriate in some places, but it doesn't it's not like terrifying. No. No, it's like a it's clearly written somewhat just slightly inappropriately for kids. But, but the illustrations yeah. are like a horror book.
1: Well, there are high stakes at different <laughs> times. And that's the thing. I, I just, I pulled it open. So I overstated it a little bit. Not all of the illustrations, not all of the people in the illustrations look like they're screaming all the time. But when they're not screaming, look like they're screaming, they have like dark button looking, like button looking eyes and like weird stumpy fingers
0: it just felt like the... It's true, their hands are like splayed all the time.
1: Yeah, it felt like the proportions are really off. And I I see now, like looking back, I can see now what you mean by scary stories, but I'm just, I love those illustrations so much that it's hard for me <laughs> to like... But I see now, like the more I look at this, I can see like the horror content, but mm-hmm. I don't... And that was something as I, re- as I read and I was seeing these illustrations, I was really taken aback. Like the one where um
0: oh yeah where he's turning into a tree
1: yeah henry piper's turning into a tree. it really just looks like someone t- like
0: he looks like he's in pain
1: that but it looks like someone decapitated him and then glued his head onto a tree like it doesn't look like he's growing into a tree it looks like, like he, he has, has been on soldered onto a tree <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he he clearly looks like a 70-year-old man, too. So she ends up falling in love with the neighbor boy. So I guess she's going to marry him at 16 instead.
0: Well, maybe in at that time it was encouraged. I don't know.
1: That's what's so hard about not knowing exactly when this is supposed to be set. Because you don't know the societal norms. And if it's in kind of a pocket universe or like a alternate timeline... We don't know the social rules.
0: Right. So if it's, yeah, if it's in the 80s, super inappropriate. And if it's in the 30s, then it's, you know, kind of normal. Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah. it always upsets me. Just like anytime I read a story where a young woman, a teenager, her only option is to marry someone and those are her only options (laughs) like she's gonna marry this like guy who ends up being a creep and then a tree or (laughs) this guy that her mom keeps foisting on her that she's like he's kind of (laughs) smelly
0: yeah I guess so I mean it doesn't sound like it's her only option but she sure seems enthusiastic about it she's very focused on it yeah and not on anything else
1: yeah yeah Polly wishes that people will pay attention to her, and she's this kind of jerky little kid who just says what she thinks. She's very, very blunt, and just like tells people that they have bad hair.
0: And she is super rude.
1: Yeah, super rude. But I always kind of... I enjoy seeing girl characters that are like that because they're still rare, even though it's 2018. It's still rare to see little girl characters that are jerks. And so... Like, <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, because I haven't had that just, like, non-physically beaten out of them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But you just don't see it that often. Mm-hmm. And so um, I still enjoy it. There's a little secret part of me that enjoys it. But she wants people to pay attention to her. And the way that that happens, th- what the wish does for for her is every time she starts to get rude, she starts to make this horrible frog noise that's like, juggerum, <laughs> juggerum.
0: I'm glad you did that. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it was a little girl voice, so it's like, chug a a rum. I don't know, but it said it sounded exactly like a bullfrog, so maybe oh, yeah. like it was a creepy, unsettling, like deep bullfrog voice. Oh, so i like a little girl.
1: Chug a rum. a a I'm
0: gonna have nightmares. <laughs> well, because you can see me doing it too. Yeah, I, can, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can picture like little eight year old you doing this. <laughs> uh,
1: if I ever time travel, I'm gonna come. <laughs> To get my little eight-year-old self to find you at that age, and <laughs> Night- jug a rum at you. True
0: nightmares forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: time travel goals.
0: <laughs> I think what bothered me the most about that was that it was not just when she was getting rude, mm-hmm. but when she was yelling at people for perfectly valid things. Yeah, which it just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, except and- in the whole like girls should be seen and not heard. Yes. kind of a way. Yes. Even when it's valid,
1: yes, and I the lack of discernment between the situations was was bothersome to me. Like because
0: if it if it is magic, then it wouldn't have a problem like kind of sussing out intent. Mm -hmm. And if there's a big difference between having a tantrum and being obnoxious, or like being angry for a good reason and
1: standing up for yourself that's what that's why you know Mm. I I assume that that's what you mean as well yeah because there there's um there's times where she's being laughed at and she's trying to raise her voice to be like no this is not okay or she's trying to defend someone else or defend something and all of a sudden she starts (laughs) juggerums
0: I'm gonna call you up at two in the morning someday and just juggerum at you I just won't answer Um, so yeah,
1: I, I, yeah, the whole putting her in her place type of thing. No.
0: And how quickly she got used to it and decided, well, I guess this is how it's going to be. I'm going to have to watch how I am.
1: Yeah. I guess yeah. this is forever. Yeah. Yeah. And the little like kind of jerky Polly that we're first introduced to, I don't feel like she would have gone that quietly. <laughs> nope. So yeah, I had a big problem with that one.
0: Yeah. That character didn't seem super consistent.
1: No, no. And the last one, I mean, it was, that was very American Tall Tale. So Adam, right, with the water. Mm -hmm. That just felt like American Tall Tale. Yeah. Like you wish for water and then it comes out of every single surface and crack and nook and cranny that is on your property to the point where it creates, like, an ocean.
0: Yeah. His mom wasn't portrayed very nicely either. Like, she came across as just, like, flighty and silly and clinging to random pieces of furniture for no good reason.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that now. I actually marked it um, because the dad was so mean to her. Like, she's trying to save the family's possessions, and the dad is, like, like making fun of her.
0: But, yeah, there was just not too much to say about that story no to me yeah
1: i mean yeah it was just like it was fantastical it was probably the most to me interesting
0: like kind of traditional folktale yeah Yeah. which
1: i find very interesting and aside from adam's mom adam's dad being rude to adam's mom i didn't have a like any huge glaring problems i mean that was horrible but Mm -hmm. Um, For the story itself, of course, Adam, being a boy, I guess he got off easy. Yeah. Where he just, you know, wished wrong and then they got too much of what he wanted. He wasn't corrected. His behavior wasn't corrected. That's true. Yeah.
0: I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're totally right.
1: Yeah. So.
0: I guess part of what is interesting to me about all of these is that, like, they all made just, like, regular wishes, like... In any kind of similar thing I've read, there's something that they've done specifically wrong. Instead of being, like, mildly selfish or just saying things the wrong way, they're like, I choose to make this deal where I, like, make a deal with the devil or whatever, like, and you actually actively kind of participate. Mm -hmm. But they were all just victims in this, which was strange. Like, I don't really see what the – it sounds terrible to say. I don't really see what the point is of this story.
1: I think it's just supposed to be a collection of fo- of tales from yeah. this place, and I guess I didn't I didn't realize it was a series. I it's supposed to be like,
0: and it's not even the first one. Oh, it isn't. No, oh. um, but they all have kind of uh, demonic tones.
1: Hmm. hmm. I don't know. I don't think I want to read any of of the other ones.
0: Yeah, I didn't. I mean, let's see. There's um, The Devil's Donkey, which came before this book, Dr. Dred's Wagon of Wonder or Wonders, and Professor Pupkin's Prodigious Polish, which I can only imagine is some sort of traveling. Is it Polish or Polish? Well, (laughs) yeah, I know. I read Polish first, and I... uh, I just assumed it was, and I don't know why, because that makes no no sense. No, Polish makes more (laughs) sense.
1: I would, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe it's about Polish sausages. I know, I thought that too. um, But I really don't want to see illustrations of those (laughs) screaming sausage people, so... (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I'm hoping that in the rest of the series they explain things like why he's called stew meat, and...
1: I really felt like that was, like the town thought of him as less than, less intelligent, kind of goofball, and that was kind of his name, like kind of a denigration of him.
0: Although I guess it, that makes sense in the plot of the story because then he's sort of the unexpected yeah, rescuer of everybody else. Yeah. Like they would not have thought that he could solve the problem, but then he did. Yeah.
1: Or I guess it's supposed to be folksy. I don't, again, I'm just not buying it. Yeah. Like It just doesn't...
0: Mm-mm.
1: Poor Stew Meat. Poor Stew Meat. He's just running the store.
0: That everybody needs.
1: Yeah. And he saves everybody, but they're still kind of not really that nice to him. And
0: you know what? They didn't even think he could do it right. They were fighting no. over yeah. what they wanted him to say.
1: Yeah. It's terrible. But they didn't, I felt like the book didn't even give him his due that he was the voice of reason and was the person who saved them.
0: No, and he's literally the voice of reason because he's the narrator at the beginning and then he finishes it up at the end. Yeah. And hmm. he says himself that he's the only person that knows the whole story.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm glad I read this. It's something I never would have picked up. Not there are some descriptions that are interesting, and it wasn't long.
0: <laughs> no <laughs> It was a quick read and and I don't know, in a lot of ways it feels sort of like My preferences run to like English lit Mm -hmm. generally, but like the early American lit stories that I had to take in college, like those courses, Mm -hmm. it feels like those kinds of stories, Mm -hmm. which are just not my favorite, which has nothing to do with the actual writing, just my personal preference. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't think I would have chosen to read this. Yeah, there's,
1: I have deep ideological problems with a lot of the book. Um, I think this
0: is a year for that given some of the other stories. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean there's no child having to make his father grilled hot dog sandwiches in this, <laughs> but I'm not excited or um excited by this or am really going to recommend this to people. I I feel like it's really from a certain time <laughs> and we're not even sure when that time is. Right. But it's not a time that I feel like is relevant to
0: to now. Well, and there's no obvious lesson to be learned for like for from a kid's perspective, reading this book, like there's
1: other than behave.
0: I know, but it's the wrong kind of behavior. yeah, that's that's, yeah. I feel like the
1: <laughs> lessons that are put forth are ones that I don't want to teach
0: right. I mean, it's it's entertaining in its way. and it's kind of Americana folktale. If you like that kind of book, it would be a good book, but it's just not what I would recommend if I were recommending books to people.
1: Yeah, definitely. So on that note, um, we are going to share a little bit um, some of the reviews that we found on the book. what other people
0: thought. Pardon the paper flapping.
1: So I have um, from the School Library Journal um, from 1983 – This review was written by George Gleason, who at the time was in the Department of English at Southwest Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri. And aside from the plot synopsis, he wrote, Britain's novel is literary folk story at its best, folksy, fascinating, and fun. And this was a star reviewed. Mr. Gleason, I disagree with you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and I'm going to read a review or part of a review. Um, from the New York Times from 1983. Um, this one's written by Natalie Babbitt, who most people know from her book Tuck Everlasting, but she also was a Newbery Honor winner in 1971 um, for Ninoch Rise, which we'll talk about in a totally different season. I'm going to skip the part where they describe what the actual book plot is, since we've already covered that pretty thoroughly, and get to her opinion. Mr. Britton may want the reader to learn that being given wishes is a bad thing, but it would appear that a skillfully worded wish, such as stew meat zone, might be desirable. Although it's longer than it needs to be, the wish giver is an eerie delight, told in a homey backcountry voice. And Mr. Glass's pictures, 15 full-page charcoal drawings are splendidly free, funny, and just weird enough. The book itself is also handsomely produced... With its squarish format, roomy type, and margins, and comfortable weight, it has the look and feel. (laughs) Has the look and feel of something worth keeping. Um, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that if you have to describe the binding as a reason why you would choose a book, when it's not particularly out of the ordinary, you might want to (laughs) reconsider the positive tone of your review. I mean, it's not like the Sister's Grimm where like it's bound in cloth with guilt. This is a regular book.
1: This made me love Natalie Babin <laughs> more. I, <laughs> I did already love her.
0: But it's also, I mean, the, the whole thing about the backcountry voice bothered me a little bit too because there were just a few pages where not the characters, but the author was writing in colloquial language, which bothered me
1: <laughs> and again just like we don't know when this is set
0: mm-hmm.
1: we don't really know where it is set that's true we know it's america
0: It's got a little bit of an appalachia feel
1: yeah and i didn't grow up exactly in appalachia but i was close enough for this to be <laughs> a bit offensive mm. so yeah
0: i would agree that it is longer than it needs to be
1: On to um, some good business, um, our read-alikes or read-betters.
0: Yes. So um, mine is The Monkey's Paw by W.W. W. Jacobs. Um, that is from much earlier, 1902. It's a short story, um, which we'll link to. That's actually available for free at this point, so you can read it if you'd like. And um, what I like about that is I feel like it's actually um, – more intelligently written like the people in it are making like deal with the devil situations but they're choosing it purposefully and that way they know what they're doing is wrong so there's sort of there's a purpose to it that I kind of feel is lacking here and then they are more informed about what's happening and whether they're trying to get out of it and how Like, it's just, that's more interesting to me, I think, than just sort of bumbling along and hoping that somebody can fix it.
1: Yeah. Well, they're adults too, right? So there's like, there's actual moral dilemmas. Right. Yeah.
0: But that's my read slightly better than, but also it's a very similar plot wise. So if you actually do like this book, um, or just the premise, it might be enjoyable.
1: So I was spoiled, um, as a child, I f- discovered Bruce Koval very early. Um, the, you know, my teacher's an alien, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but by the time the 90s rolled around, I was reading... Scary, scary crap
0: like Christopher Pike and (laughs) R.L. Stein. Christopher Pike, yeah. So
1: I was like, Bruce Coville is like my elementary school days. So I missed the first time around. I missed his Magic Shop series, and in particular, I um, for my recommendation, I'm going to recommend Jennifer Murdley's Toad. Um, It was originally published in 1992. I read um, and reread this time uh, the 2002 edition, uh, published by Harcourt. It's written by Bruce Coville, illustrated by Gary A. Lippincott, and it is very delightful. Um, So Jennifer Murdley believes that she is unattractive, but that is not the main part of the story. It does come into play at the um, denouement, as they say. Um, but she is, um, she happens upon a magic shop, the magic shop owner um, sells her a magic toad that can talk, and away we go.
0: <laughs> I can see how that would be like similar, but um, anything mm-hmm. coming from them would be really well done. Yeah,
1: so. yeah. In any case, um, this this book, Jennifer Murtley's Toad, is to me very charming. It's uh, very contemporary, it holds up over time. Um, it doesn't age itself. And I recommend it. So for this, we had a cocktail for this episode. And it's called Anna's Wish. And maybe rightfully so, it actually, um, according to the website I found it on, was inspired by Anna Nicole Smith.
0: Oh. Much like the book, It's All Right.
1: (laughs) It's very sweet.
0: It is. Um, it seems very appropriate somehow. It's uh, mildly regrettable, <laughs> but you kind of get used to it.
1: Yeah. It's um. So it's pineapple juice, triple sec, and rum, and that's it.
0: It feels like when you're at like a tiki bar or like a tropical resort, and everybody's ordering tropical drinks, and this is just sort of what's left over. Um, yeah. It's it's. Like dark rum with pineapple juice and what else was in it? Triple sec. And triple sec, which is not a combination that would naturally occur to me. I
1: think it should be renamed the watery pineapple. The watery
0: pineapple. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the just slightly
0: off. Yeah. It needs it needs more layers or something. Yeah. Like it needs another kind of rum and a different kind of juice mixed mm-hmm. in or something to...
1: It needs to be taught a lesson by Thaddeus Blinn. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would wish for a different drink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for the wish giver. And we are on to the sign of the beaver next time. So see you then.
0: Bye. Production assistance for Newberry Tart is provided by Raphael Siebenman and Liam Grove. Graphic design by Liz Meitinger. Intro and outro by Ariana Hargrave. Theme music for this podcast is provided by the laid-back and local Throckmorton Ukulele Band. You can hear more of their music on Facebook. Find more Newberry Tart episodes at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Our website is NewberryTart. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-Y-T-A-R-T dot com.